Linea Sketch for iPad plus Apple Pencil is the perfect way to capture thoughts and ideas effortlessly. If you're feeling overwhelmed by modern drawing apps, Linea Sketch is the app for you. Choose from predefined color sets, auto-generated with tints and shades. Work on a simple set of layers that are easy to understand and quick to adjust. Paint organically with Linea's watercolor brush, or add simple text labels to your sketches with the annotation tool. The app's built-in grids and design templates get you up and running quickly and speed your workflow. Linea Sketch is free to download from the App Store today. Check it out at linea-app.com. It's where your ideas begin. Hello, everybody. Today, we're doing part two of our curriculum on portraits. Now, if you want to develop healthy studio habits, ArtProf's got everything you need, tutorials, critiques, and professional development. So Clara, why don't you get us started? What's going on with portraiture? Yeah, this is part of our curriculums for self-taught artists in various topics. We have already done part one, which is covering different types of portraits. And what we're gonna talk about today is the specific skills that you'll need in order to do portraiture. I think we need to define what a portrait is first because some people might be confused, Lauren, correct? <laughs> yeah, portraiture could be very broad, but I think the one that we all go for or think of first is a head, a head of somebody. Your That's head, my head, that head. That's a head. <laughs> who is this, Clara? I don't know who this is. What? It's Matthew Good. He's in Downton Abbey and the crown. He's like Benedict Cumberbatch, but without the cheekbones. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got a really nice neck. And he's tall and thin. And oh my God, I've been like binging all of his shows oh my god i'm like watching downton abbey even though he's not until the like last season i'm like okay I'll get there <laughs> eventually <laughs> i don't remember him from downton abbey but anyways he does have a great neck for portraiture you see this is educational all right well let's talk about backgrounds because actually this is one of the last skills that people deal with in portraiture if at all why do you think, Alex, people just don't do this with portraits? I think it's a lot of what your preconception of what a portrait is. It's like, all right, I don't have to worry about the background. I'm just doing that face. But you can tell so much about the person you're depicting, the environment they're in, the mood of the piece by the background. And Lauren, the background is not just filler. You can really use a background to tell a story. Have you found that the background has been helpful to you as somebody who has done figurative work? Yeah. In fact, I feel as if the background has become almost more important than the figure, but still part of the portraiture because you've got all of that space to put in all those contextual elements, all those things that make a person who they are. A person lives in a space. So why not fill that space? Tell us in the chat, who here, when you've done portraits, has bypassed that background? Because I think we've all been guilty of that at a certain point. So if you do 
portraits, try thinking about that background because it's a whole universe that is wonderful to explore and it really enhances what your portraits can say. Now that leads us to the next skill, which is composition. And I think Alex, for a lot of people, the most obvious composition is, okay, head, neck and shoulders, right in the middle. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, there's much more you can do with that. And I've heard people say to me, oh, well, there's not a lot of options. Head, neck and shoulders, I can only do so many things, but it's so not true. For example, in this Alex Katz image, this is head, neck and shoulders, but what's happening with the composition? It's so much broader than just that. And I think it's about, yes, head, neck and shoulders, square right in the center is a tried and true method of conveying a portrait. And if it's something, say, you have a portrait you're painting of someone, that's probably a good way to go. But there are so many other ways you can tell the story through the image and convey a deeper message with how that composition works. So it's that kind of thing where you don't have to feel limited to that being your only option. Slepnir says, shouldn't background somehow relate to the portrait? What do you think about that, Lauren? Yes, I think that there's always a relationship between background and the figure or the portrait. How much you want to emphasize that relationship is up to you. Sometimes it really is, say, just a, a contrast that makes the portrait stand out more. It could be something formal like that, or it can be something more narrative or symbolic where the kinds of objects around the person or the the atmosphere also plays into that role but they should not be disconnected you should not just put in a background for the sake of having a background and oftentimes the background it really sets the mood like this cindy sherman portrait alex with all these dots and lights. I mean, this would not be the same portrait if that background was just black. What do the dots do as far as establishing a mood here? They kind of accentuate that wild, lust for life, kind of almost gaudy mood in this one. And it's something that they're supplemental, yes, but they make the portrait. It completely would change without them. Seven Angelic says, I think there's a constant worry of making the background complement the portrait evenly, make it pop, but don't overwhelm. Well, Lauren, a very common excuse for not having a background for a lot of people is, well, I don't want to distract from the portrait. And if I put a background, nobody's going to see the portrait. Is there a way to balance that? Yes. Actually, I want to say, too, that having binged Portrait Artist of the Year, which we've talked about in previous streams, they never put a background, and it drives me crazy. And they say, these are really good portraits. This is such a great, they did such a great job. I love this. Professional artists saying this. And I say, this is, this is not, this is not living up to my standards. Anyways, I forgot the question. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's come up with another one for you then. Johnny says, sometimes I don't know how to handle backgrounds if the background on the reference is Ooh, lacking, okay. which is common. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes you'll get a portrait reference and there's nothing. Is there a way to deal with that, Alex? I think so. And it's definitely beneficial to start with a good background. Like for the three of us right now, if I had to choose which portrait to paint, I would pick Lauren because you have that great background. Whereas me, I have this dull, boring wall right behind me. So for me, you'd have to invent it. And I think for me, I always think of how the colors will work. 
So again, using me right now as an example, this blue shirt and everything else is fairly muted colors. Playing off of that blue and kind of make shapes that supplement the portrait. As we saw in some of those examples, sometimes the background is simply suggestions of complementary colors. And sometimes that's enough. Let's talk about anatomy because anatomy is one of those skills. It does take time to learn. And so sometimes I'll say to people, well, you don't really need that because your work isn't really about the specifics of the human figure, but for portraiture, it really is. And the biggest issue <laughs> that I see is people don't emphasize the structure they get mesmerized by Matthew Good's eyes and his cute eyebrows. And you just can't see past oh, his eyelashes. It's just really hard. And so this is hard for people because a portrait is so much eyes, nose, and mouth. But Lauren, think about how much skull is back there. I think people forget that. Yeah, the eyes, the nose, and the mouth, they're supported by something. They sit within a face. and skin and fat and muscle and bone are all part of what makes us look like how we are. An eye on its own is really boring. <laughs> He's just got such a nice nasal bone. It's so elegant. <laughs> Looks like he probably broke his nose at some point. Oh, it's fine. I'll take it. <laughs> well, Alex, what do you recommend for studying anatomy because if you're not a big anatomy dork like me and you you don't want to do hours and hours of study is there mm -hmm. still a way to build anatomy into your portrait without it getting super technical and scientific yeah i would say the first thing is knowing the names of them is i'd say is optional if you don't want to it's okay to know <laughs> ah, the bumpy part of the bone this bumpy part of the bone all these bumpies but i think it just takes <laughs> two things practice it, it's one of those skills that does require practice of drawing skulls and learning how they work but also just training your eye you don't have to have your sketchbook with you all the time but looking and kind of understanding oh where are the cheekbones on this person how big is their skull in relation to their face and training your eye to notice those things is a big help actually you know what helps me is sometimes when I'm working on a portrait, I'll just touch my face because mm -hmm. oftentimes yeah. people don't realize, oh, wow, the cheekbones, they really are very prominent. And then if you touch this part, it's all flushy and soft. And so I think if you don't want to do all the anatomy homework, which you don't have to do, at the very least, understand, okay, my forehead is all bone, my chin is pretty prominent, but then this part is a little more flat. If you can just understand that, use yourself as a reference. But I also think, Lauren, part of it is just a portrait's a lot of baggage. And so people feel like they want to get it right. Yeah. And even with anatomy, there's no real correct way, right? I was going to say that I also touch my face to figure out structure for a portrait. But my issue with that is that then the portrait ends up kind of looking like me because I don't have the same facial structure or the same eyelids as my friends. And I have a very long face, so things are going to come out differently if I'm doing the touch and draw method. Mm -hmm. 
First, we're going to say thanks for the super chat, Anna Weeder, uh, who's agreeing with you, Lauren, where they choose the least interesting portraits. <laughs> All right. Thanks for, yeah, it's so bad. Watch it. Hate watch it. It's oh, God. to watch. And I think this is the one that really is the biggest offender <laughs> for anatomy is the eye sockets, because the other stuff is very important. But the eye socket is the one that people chronically just don't even think about because mm -hmm. the eyes are so critical in a portrait. People communicate with their eyes. And so people think, oh, it's all about the pupil. The pupil is what's going to make a very penetrating portrait. But the thing is, pupils are kind of flat and they're just these shapes. And really, you have to show the dimensionality of the eyeball, which is underneath the eyelids, so you have to think structurally with these portraits. And I find that sometimes if you don't do that, the eyes, they look like they're just floating. Like Lauren, you ever see a portrait where the mouth, it just looks like a collage, like a sticker or somebody just <laughs> stuck on the face. Well, the mouth is very hard. I think actually the eyes are easier and less of an offense offending thing than the way people do mouths because with the eyes you at least say have markers of a heavy brow or bags under the eyes which contribute to that penetrating serious look but the mouth what is a mouth there's no real bony landmarks i guess there's a chin but the, the muscles it's all these weird muscles that are kind of hard to see unless you're really old where the wrinkles show where that structure is Mouths on babies, terrible. Just don't do it. Don't even try. <laughs> RB Dick, thank you so much for the super sticker. Everybody, keep those super stickers coming. They're a huge help to us. They add up over time, and it matters for our budget because we are hanging in there, but I would like to get some sleep this year for a change. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about angles and foreshortening because they're very oh, important ah! and you all need to understand what a front view is because sometimes it's just not clear. So let's just look at the front view. Mm -hmm. And Alex, sometimes I find front views the most annoying to paint because they're perfectly symmetrical. And so they're inherently less interesting. What's your take on the front view? Yeah, the front view, if especially if you're working with subpar lighting, the front view can be very boring and make things very flat. It recently, we were chatting in the Discord, and I was bringing up that red carpet photos of celebrities are awful because they have so many light sources, there are no shadows. And from straight on, it's like the nose virtually disappears. Now, the profile view... I think, well, this profile view is beautiful, but I just think profiles have this elegance to them because they are very simple. There's not as much to draw. On the mm. other hand, because there's not as much to draw, they feel more flat in general. And so they can be very challenging for them. People also have weird profiles. Profiles can be very hard. This guy has a weak chin and weak chins are hard to draw for me because they just kind of <sighs> look a bit uh, they're, they're kind of weird. It's like a moon shape thing going on. Mm -hmm. I know, but look at his eyebrow. Look at <laughs> his eyebrows. Oh my God. They're like so perfect. Now, this is my favorite view is three quarters. You got a mm -hmm. little bit of everything. Okay. You, you get the eyes and an angle on the nose. So it doesn't look weird. 
but it's also not as flat as a profile. So I feel like in some ways, three quarters makes your life a little bit easier. Now, when things get complicated is when the head starts tilting, you're foreshortening. Foreshortening looks so weird. Like, Lauren, isn't this angle bizarre? Yeah, this is where you want to learn how to draw those necks because you have a lot of neck view going on here and how the neck attaches to the head. I want to say with the front view, one thing I hate about front views is the way that some people just, I'm going to stick the head right on the neck and there's no connection. They just are things that are next to each other. This really helps you understand where those things are connected and how they're connected. Slapnir says front view is rather boring because of the symmetry. It seems like people's first stab at portraiture. I think that's true. I think a lot of people, when they start learning how to draw a portrait, that's their first impulse. But I actually think starting with three quarters is a lot easier because it's like you're just sort of set up to have something that inherently feels more dimensional. And things get wonky with the foreshortening, Alex. And what I tell people, just let it look weird. It, it's going to mm. be <laughs> And yeah. so people say to me often, well, how come it doesn't look right? What does that mean? What, what is right when you have a weird foreshortened tilted head? I think because it's really challenging us to look at the head in a way that we don't expect. I think a lot of portraits, the big slip ups is when people start replacing aspects of the figure they're drawing with their own features because we know our face best and we kind of fill in the gaps with something we know when it's a weird angle all of our preconceptions are out the door so we feel very lost like a, a boat without an oar or however think, that metaphor goes yeah i think also that foreshortening is something that we only really understand or see a lot of with with photography cameras, movies, that kind of thing. And in real life, we're mostly seeing people head on, just straight on front view. We're not, if they're doing running or doing a flip or something, you're not seeing that motion for a long period of time, the way you're seeing a straight on point of view of a person all the time. So foreshortening is very fleeting. So we don't really have a good sense of how it does look, which is very strange. Talk about hair. It's surprising to me how much people think hair doesn't count when they're doing a portrait. Because if you think about your average person, for most people, their hair really does define, at the very least, the silhouette of their head. Even if they have very short hair, it's still part of that. And for a lot of people, their hair really does define them in a way. And yet, Lauren, what I see very often people will spend tons of time on the eyes, nose and mouth. And then in the last 10 minutes they go, oh yeah, I gotta do the hair. Why does that never work, Lauren? The hair could be a portrait unto itself. It has its own structure, form, depending on the type of hair, the consistency of hair that you have. And then also it has all this detail because your head's made up of those individual strands. And that's something that's really hard to think about this, this part versus whole situation. And how much should you do super detail hair versus how much of it should be about that shape and structure. I think people try to go one way or the other. They say, I'm gonna do every single hair and then they have no structure or they say, oh, I'm gonna make this blob. And then there's no sense of hair texture. Ultimately, what you have to remember with hair 
is that it's a mess. The second you start shifting your idea away from individual strands of hair and you treat it as a mass, that's when it's going to start to come alive. And so what I say to people is, listen, if you want to understand hair, look at it as if it were a sculpture. And so I tell people, look at sculptures, look at how they get that in, because you can't sculpt individual hairs. That's not going to happen. And so thinking about it as a mass and putting in patches of hair is very helpful. The other thing is looking at the direction of the hair. Why does that matter, Alex? I think when you look at the direction, it helps to think of how it works with the composition and how it kind of gets the eyes to focus towards that face. Hair could be supplemental to that. I think there's the problem of people either draw each and individual hair or they do like a big block and say it's done. And it's, the answer is really kind of in the middle. What I try to do is I subdivide the mass. So I say, okay, here's a big mass of hair, but now let's find clumps, almost like you're dividing up countries in the mm -hmm. hair. And then you look at the direction. And then what really helps with hair is highlights and shadows. Why Lauren is lighting just so especially important when it comes to hair? Well, you just said that hair is like a sculpture and with any sculpture, it's lighting that really makes or breaks how that's perceived because you're working with that three dimensional object. So getting good lighting can really eluc elucidate the, I don't even know what that word means. I'm just using it. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the actual form of the hair and make it easier to draw and also easier for the viewer to understand what is going on. And I tell people that hair is not filler. You don't just look at it and say, oh, which I've seen a million times where people just give up. They say, oh, I can't do it. So let's just do this. But that doesn't really work. And yes, you can be gestural when you're doing hair and you can work very energetically. But another thing that's important with hair is tension. Why does tension matter in hair, Alex? I think because the tension reminds us that the hair is not like a helmet placed on top of the head. It is coming from the head. And that tension is the reminder of that. Whether hair is loosely falling or tightened up into a bun, it is reacting to the scalp in a different way. Nino says, how do you do that parting in the hair? I find that spot the hardest to draw or where the hair and forehead connects. Any tips, Lauren? Yeah, that... That is a great question, first of all, because I have trouble with that too sometimes. And I think what helps is not defining it too hard, not making that line too hard, because then it looks like a scar or something across the scalp. I I like to, to put in a, a blur almost, have, have a softer line, and then accentuate in some places where some of those hairs are getting pulled back in that kind of tension thing that we were just talking about. You want a little bit of contrast going on. I think what helps me is the transition. How do you get from the forehead to where the hair begins? And I find oftentimes what makes it not look natural is when it's too abrupt and it looks like a wig. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think about why a wig feels unnatural. It's usually because it, it just cuts straight across and you don't really see that transition very well. And then to think about 
the tautness. I mean, some people it's like, like pulling their hair so hard. And then for other people, it's all over the place. So highlights are very important. And if we look at the difference, your reference photo really matters. Like Alex, this photo from The Good Place, it's not a very good photo. I mean, you look at the hair, nothing's happening, right? But then if we come here, why is the photo on the right better as a reference for hair? I think because all of these questions we're having of how to show the hair in the right way is dependent on the lighting being your guide. You can see in the second photo how the light, it does the work for you. It's dividing it into three quadrants, the cool light, the darkness, and the warm light. And it's easy, I think, to look at reference photos just looking for the face. Is this a good picture of the face? And then be lost when it comes to the hair because it's a bad reference photo of the hair. And oftentimes what I see is people do really good lighting on the face, but then mm -hmm. the hair doesn't have any lighting, which doesn't make sense because whatever light is happening on the face is also going to translate to the hair. And so if you look at this image, you can see the lighting on the right. It's very soft, very subtle. Okay. On the left, it's like really harsh and very contrasty and pronounced. So you just have to make sure when you're doing the lighting, that the light on the face, it actually matches the hair. And oftentimes I find that that does not happen. Sijo says, before that, I always found portraits to be so intimidating that I never really tried drawing any portraits. Why is that, Lauren? Because that's so common that people are like, oh, portraits, <laughs> I can't do it. It's something we mentioned before where there is a lot of baggage with portraiture and everybody is really paying attention to whether you get a likeness or not, or whether you just get it to look like a person or not. And it's really obvious when you don't get it in a way that is less obvious with other parts of the body or other types of, of art making. So it feels like there's a lot of pressure, which I totally understand. But you have to give yourself room to make mistakes, to make bad to make bad portraits and then laugh about it. I, I save all my bad portraits, all my really bad ones. I've got a great one of Casey Runin, um, who was one of our previous TAs that I love. Let's talk about flush tones. Mixing flush tones, I think, is one of the hardest things to do. And one of the reasons it's so hard is because if you think about it, your skin is translucent. It's layer upon layer upon layer of skin. And so mm -hmm. you can't paint it opaquely because then it looks weird and rubbery. And so one thing that you've done a lot, Alex, is start with a complementary color underpainting. So if somebody has like a peach skin tone, you're starting with a blue skin tone. And I think the key to mixing is you just have to be more adventurous. Have you found, Alex, that it's easy to fall into the, okay, I've got a brown face the shadow is darker brown. It's like you, you have to be more adventurous than that. Yeah, I think the number one thing that tri trips people up in portraiture is, okay, the skin is probably somewhere between like orange and brown-ish, and that's the shadows, that's the highlights, that's everything. When in reality, it's a lot more complex than that. And the reason that I love doing that complementary color for the skin especially is because Without oxygen, our blood is a bluish color, and that color does shine through for all of us. So it's 
misguided to always do a bunch of warms in the face. And having that complexity of cools and warms makes the face dynamic. I heard something different about that, that it's actually the way that the skin refracts light that makes the blood look blue underneath. Ooh. And that's actually mostly for white people or lighter skinned people because of the type of translucency that we have going on and the lack of melanin. So uh, these things that we're talking about are super fascinating because the structure, the way that you want to build up the transparencies of your portrait also really depends on the skin color that you are talking about and know knowing what someone's undertones are, what the, the highlights are, what does the face or the hands look like. The color of your hands is different from the color of your face. So it really is a lot of practice looking. Alex, what do you say when somebody looks at a portrait and they say, I don't see anything? but browns and oranges. I, I don't understand how I could possibly see any other colors. Is there a way to do that? Because there is blues and green, there are all kinds of colors, but a lot of people complained to me at first, I, I just don't see it. Do you have a suggestion for that? Yeah, I think the first one would be take the time to look and see. Um, again, not even when you're actively making portraits, even just walking around and looking around. And like Lauren was bringing up too, I think it takes a lot of, you have to like broaden your scope beyond just your own face where it's like, again, like I said earlier, like we fill in the gaps with our own body and our own face. And you have to look around at how diverse the human face and expression can be. I think the trick for identifying color is to look for the reflective light because it's typically coming off of clothes, the background and environment. And that's a good, easy way to start. Of like, if I don't know, if someone's wearing a bright red scarf, they're typically going to have some red reflected light. And that's a good, easy thing to latch onto to then search for other colors throughout. Raven says, I've had to learn a lot about skin color on my own because most art schools only teach white skin. What's your take on that, Lauren? Yeah, that's totally true. And I am... Sorry that you've had that experience. It's definitely been the same for my friends of color who have been in art school where they get really frustrated and have to basically do it on their own. It's it's both the type of artwork that we look at, this, this Eurocentric kind of artwork, and it's also that a lot of the professors that we have do tend to be white, and we just make pictures of ourselves, as Alex said. So... The best thing to do, and I recommend also any white people making portraits to to actually, you know, branch out and talk with people of darker skin colors or different skin tones about maybe working together. Ask them about their skin. Ask them about their makeup. These kinds of things can be really helpful in, in creating other portraits when the education is not set up for you to learn that. People have asked me quite a bit lately about, oh, well, I'm used to painting people with lighter skin, so how do I do people that have darker skin? Ultimately, it's observation. That, that's what it is. There's no kit for how to paint a certain type of skin tone. I look at the colors, I look at the value, and it's practice, but I think I'm not a fan of a lot of these systems for proportions or hair or anything like that, because when it comes down to it, my observational skills are 
absolutely the most important. It trumps everything else. So just train your eye. That's the most important thing. Okay, let's talk about clothing and textures. Alex, I realized when I got out of art school and I started doing portrait commissions, we just never painted people with clothing on. And it's a problem because most people don't commission portraits of themselves naked. Why is clothing so hard for people, do you think, Alex? I think you nailed it. Just that kind of lack of practice and understanding because this is, portraiture is fun because I think at the beginning of the stream, we had that recognition of everyone thinks it's head, shoulders, face, boom, that's it. But no, each one of these things we unravel could be a whole series in and of itself. I mean, what kind of fabric is the clothing? That determines how it falls, how light hits it, how much it affects the weight, and da-da-da-da-da-da. You have all of these things to start considering. I think it's more comparable to what we were talking about with hair than anything else. Lauren, why is texture so critical when it comes to clothing? There are so many different things that we wear of so many different textures and weaves. There's satin, which is super luxurious and smooth. And then there's burlap, which is thick and hairy and and potato sack like. And you can really <laughs> <laughs> you can really convey a lot about a person versus the, the texture of, of clothing that they're wearing. Sequins. Sequins are a good one. Ginger Cell says, clothing says a lot about someone, too. I mean, I'm the most boring dresser on the planet, but Alex, for a lot of people, the clothing is a narrative in itself. Mm -hmm. And I think that portrait is fun because when we think of the most common portrait commission, it's like, here, this is money. Make portrait of me. And <laughs> it can be that thing where... How does this subtly tell that story? You know, if you look at any portraits of, say, in universities of hoity-toity professors and stuff, guarantee you're going to find at least one tweed jacket, you know, ah. a, a pipe and all that stuff that shows intellectual. And then, Clara, when you describe having a boring wardrobe, that's functional. That's no nonsense. It's like, I got other things to worry about than where my tweed jacket is. <laughs> I have Matthew Good movies I need to be watching. I don't need to spend my time clothes <laughs> shopping. Come on. <laughs> well, clothing also drives people crazy because you have to get the feeling of the form of the figure underneath the clothes. So you're doing two structures that interact somehow. And depending on the clothing, sometimes the clothing is really tight. Other times it's super flowy. And then some clothing is very shiny. Some of it's, it's so hard. And Lauren, I find oftentimes when people just do that standard portrait, they spend no time in clothes. The clothing is sometimes barely put in there. It's like the hair. So <laughs> it's like, you need to be more well-rounded as a portrait artist. Do you think that's true? Yeah, especially in my case, you can use the clothes and spend all your time on the clothes and then people don't pay attention <laughs> to the face and then you don't have to have good portrait face skills and Abby skills. You can just say, oh, I make really nice clothing portraits. So, so use it to your advantage, guys. Lauren, and I'd love to see period. you do portraits. Oh, I just want to see you do portraits of people in their like winter weather garb of like a scarf up to here and a big beanie. And <laughs> I would love to do that. That's such a good idea, Alex. Send me a picture in your in your warmest clothing. Got it. <laughs> 
We have a question for Lauren from Anna who says, any advice about how to paint patterns with the folds of the fabric? I'm struggling to do both. Most of my paintings are nudes. Yeah, that that is super difficult, Anna. I actually honestly struggle with it too. I I think putting down the folds first, getting the, the body of the clothing is is kind of necessary. And then I go in and I erase the folds or kind of make them look less. I just see the guideline. And then I try to shape the pattern in, in not any any fancy or or specific intense kind of way, just very gesturally approximately what how that pattern module will curve and also make sure that you you break up the patterns where you have half of the pattern here and then half of the pattern here to show that like some of the pattern got like stuck inside of the fold those are those are my top tips i i hope that painted a, a picture maybe made sense this is a good stream to watch if anybody needs tips for that, because I know Jordan does a couple of cool tips with Procreate where he sort of like stretches the pattern to fit the form. But I think that's a good tip because the form has to come first. You can't really add the pattern if there's no form for the clothing. So definitely, I think that's important. And also, don't skip the patterns. Alex, for some reason, in all these drawings people are practicing like nobody has patterns and you can't just chicken out what do you think yeah because it's like everything it does require practice of how the folds in the fabric affect a pattern and if you're intentionally sitting down to practice with clothing and you just draw like the clothes on the left in this photo like oh let's look at these shadows and the colors and the light and the dark but then if you actually want to do a painting with a pattern into it you'll have no experience in how that works. Even something as subtle as like, this this simple weave pattern mm -hmm. is so fun to paint and you're yeah. really missing out if you start to just do the blocks of color. I, I was gonna say, if you don't have a pattern, you can make a pattern because all mm -hmm. clothing is, is woven, which is a pattern of making. <laughs> Reb, <laughs> thank you so much for the super sticker. Keep those super stickers coming, everybody. They are so incredibly helpful to us. Another thing to think about with clothing is tension. How tight is the sleeve? Is it very flowy? And then Jordan and I did this whole series on how to draw clothing where we review the very specific types of folds. I had no idea that these even existed. So go through and watch the stream because I think there's a lot of really helpful information that I really just did not know about before. Let's show our art prof share today. We are very excited to see that Samuel Madriaga from the Philippines finished our drawing basics track. If you're not familiar with these, these are a structured sequence of video lessons and prompts. It's a way to get started. A lot of people know they want to get better at drawing, but they don't really know what to do or what to exercise. And so that's what we provide. And it's free. And you can do it totally at your own pace. And so Samuel says that three years ago, became burnt out, felt unmotivated and scared to create. Luckily, I found the Art Prof community. Seeing such a positive community online encouraged me to create again. Samuel says, found it challenging to have a consistent pace, but the self-paced nature of the lesson, support from the Discord, made the track very enjoyable. Yeah, we tell people, listen, 
you spend the amount of time you want to spend. If you need a month to do one lesson, great. If you do the lesson in two days, great. It's fine. And I think that life happens and it's wonderful to see people doing this because Alex, this is a lot of work <laughs> doing the track. Yeah, it is. And it's there and it's that kind of time where this is the way to guide that work that you need to put in to grow in that skill. And it's so cool to watch anyone who does the track from step one all the way to the end of it and seeing all of the skills that have been picked up and all that have been polished and finely tuned. Lauren, what do you see here looking at all of Samuel's pieces from the drawing track? I, I love the study and care that has gone into all of these draw these sketches. I was particularly looking at the shells, the animals, the humans, all of the poses, just the magnitude of them. I can really tell that you are learning as you go and are, are taking your information from the last drawing and applying it to the next drawing. And it's just, it's very satisfying to see you enjoying the process. You did a great job, Samuel. The thumbnails are so good for every project. They're incredibly diverse. And I think what I also see Samuel doing is getting very versatile as far as quick sketches, gestural drawings, but then also doing pieces like this which are a lot more sustained and focused. And so we're just so proud, Samuel, that you took this on and completed it because that's a real accomplishment, finishing the track. There are many ways you can support ArtProf. You can become a monthly Patreon supporter and get all kinds of perks and exclusive content. You can purchase an artist call. Oftentimes our content is a good way to get started, but sometimes people oftentimes need more customized advice and support. And we have all of these wonderful top Patreon supporters. Thank you, Sarah Castle, for being our most recent supporter. But we need your help because it's going down. And I'm really sad. It just dips. And we were at 4,000 for like two weeks. And then it, it keeps going down. And it just makes me really sad, everybody. So if you want to get access to things like the Patreon channels and the Discord, you get closer access to our staff, exclusive email newsletter, snail mail for me, sign on for the Patreon because we need your support and those perks are really fun. So help us because if things keep going down, it's not a good thing. We want them to go up. So Artcraft as a podcast is available on Spotify and also on iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our channel for more art tutorials, critiques, and business tips. Everybody, thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Oh, and there's a Discord chat. By the way, yeah. meet Alex and Lauren <laughs> in the Discord. Okay. Come on. <laughs>